Today, on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, guest speaker Daley Hunt has a special message for Mother's Day. What's up, Forest City? I had to, I had to practice saying that a couple times. Forest City, Forest City, Forest City. I was like, I'm going to get up here. I'll be like, what up? Oh, never mind. Um, I'm Daley Hunt. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And I'm super honored uh, to get to be up here this morning. Um, If you don't know, I have. I've been around this place since I was five years old. (laughs) And actually, my first time on this stage, this one, was uh, our very first Christmas in this building. I was 10. And so it is kind of surreal to be back here. This place has really shaped me what I do. Um, I started working in launch. When I was 12, I don't know why they let a kid lead kids, <laughs> but I still do kids ministry today. Um, so I'm really grateful for this place, the impact that it's had on the trajectory of my life, the way that I do ministry, and I'm really grateful. Um, actually, but a lot of it's happened in the past like 14-ish years since I first stood on this stage. I graduated high school. I graduated college. Um, almost two years ago, tomorrow, my anniversary is tomorrow, I got married, and um, thank you, thank you. It's a clap for my husband. God bless him. And we are expecting our first baby this summer. Thank you. Thank you. I don't feel old enough to be taking care of a child, but so pray for me. Thank you. Um, but it got me thinking, like, this baby isn't even born yet, and it, like, constantly has my attention, like, all the time. Like, I'm just thinking about it. And it's kind of weird because for the first, you know, 24 years of your life, you don't think about anything but yourself. Everybody thinks about you, but you don't think about anything but yourself. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking about this kid all the time, and it's like, what are they going to look like? What are they going to sound like? What are they going to, who are they going to be like? I'm praying it's, they're not like me because, oh, my gosh. But it's like all-consuming, right? Like, how am I going to parent this thing? Everything that my brain is going to have to think about. Um, And I knew that there was, like, no way that I had to be alone in feeling this. So I went where any parent goes to find comfort, the Internet. And I found some gold parenting tweets. Um, And if these don't sum up parenting, I don't know what will. You parents will have to tell me. You might be like, that's wrong. I don't know. Um, This one's for you parents of teenagers. Ah, hello, empty bowl in the fridge. And salutations to you, empty milk container. Greetings, empty bread sack. I see my teens have been here. Or, sorry, Taylor, just my husband. He does that all the time. This parent wrote, you look fancy, my three-year-old tells me when I put on pants with a button. Which, like umbrella of grace, that's just this last year. My fancy pants are just the ones that have buttons on them. Another one wrote, my 11-year-old wrote me an apology note for misbehaving in the car. That included, and here's the kicker, I love you so much, but sometimes I forget to care about your existence. (laughs) Which is like rude, because that mom is like, I'm always thinking about yours, so. And this one's my personal favorite. In case you were wondering, the loudest sound in the world is my kid screaming, are you pooping in a public restroom? (laughs) They have no chill. And these are totally hilarious, but parenting is no joke, right? Everything begs for your attention. Homework, bedtime, the what's for breakfast, what's for lunch, the dreaded what's for dinner, 
carpool, after-school sports, parent-teacher conferences, laundry, dishes, the list goes on and on and on. And it got me thinking, with so much grabbing for our attention, what are we actually giving our attention to? Like, what's the stuff that we're focusing on, and what's the stuff that we're just blurring out? Um, My mother-in-law was moving her mother into their home this past fall, and they were going through all of her things, and they found a camera that had belonged to my mother-in-law's dad, my husband's grandpa, Um, and my husband didn't get to meet him. He passed away before my husband was born, and so my mother-in-law thought that this would be a really cool uh, gift to give my husband to enjoy. And it has been super cool. We took this with us to San Diego a few weeks ago, um, and we took a ton of pictures, and we just got them back because they had to go be developed, which was fun. It's a fun lesson in patience. I was like, I want to just see what it looks like. Um, But when we got it back, we noticed that there were a lot of pictures that the background was beautiful, clear, the sky, the birds, the ocean. But then the subject of the picture, like the the purpose of the photo, you couldn't even tell what it was supposed to be. Like it was so blurry. And it got me thinking about this idea of focus and how important focus is in our lives. Like with the camera, the power to focus is totally in the hands of the photographer. Like he or she has the power to choose what becomes the subject of of the picture and what gets blurred into the background. And I think the same is true for us. Like we have the ability in our lives to decide what gets our focus and what gets blurred into the background. And what I've been learning over the past few months is that it's a big struggle where to put my focus. It's hard. And I think this struggle is a universal one. You know, like you might be feeling the weight of trying to focus on your kids and then you turn around and your house looks like a tornado blew through it. You know, or you're trying to focus on your mental health and then it feels like your physical health is just like right out the window. Or maybe you're really trying hard to focus on work and do a good job and serve um, your workplace well. And then you turn around and it feels like your marriage is just suffering. Like whatever it is, focus is starting to feel like this lose-lose scenario. Like you're not going to win. And I'll be the first to admit that focus is easier said than done. And I'm learning that there are three what I'm calling focus traps that are most often vying for my attention. And the first focus trap is hustle. You know, not the cool dance move. But you know, the, the I don't know how she does it kind of hustle. The, wow, she can really do it all kind of hustle. The, you know, keep moving forward, don't stop till you get enough, frantic kind of hustle. It's that internal bodily reflection of a world that seems to be moving faster and faster every single day. And I think our world has kind of glorified the hustle. And we, the humans that inhabit this world, have fallen prey to the message that the hustle is actually meant to be glorified. So we have turned our focus toward climbing uh, the corporate ladder to prove our worth and hustling and grinding in order to show that, that we can make something of ourselves. And I think this focus has really led us astray. I saw a story um, where a church accidentally misprinted the Lord's Prayer in their bulletin one Sunday. And here's what it read. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're we're doing good so far. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive, forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. 
And it's funny, but is there like anybody who feels like they need a little deliverance from their email right now? Like you could use it. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the endless loop of like, okay, just one more reply and then I will put it away. But is it ever just one more reply? At the beginning of 2020, before pandemic and social distancing, all the craziness, I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a, a guy named John Mark Comer. And if you can't tell from the title, it is about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from your life, healing our lives from the sin of hurry. That's right, I said it, sin, because it really is. Uh, Comer writes in his book, Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Both sin and busyness have the same exact effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. And then he goes on to quote psychologist Carl Jung, who says, hurry is not of the devil, Hurry is the devil. And I mean, I know those feel like pretty harsh words, but when we really think about it, is he really so wrong? Like, we live in this culture of busyness, and it is celebrated. And then in this busyness, we have edged out this deep, nourishing soul care, this connection to God that we so desperately need in order to live the lives that we're supposed to live. And even if we do manage to eke in a few minutes of quiet time, you know, how often is it that we're sitting down and being like, please, God, nourish my soul? Maybe I'm just talking to myself here, but it seems like there are way too many times where I sit down and I'm sitting with God and I'm reading, I'm journaling, whatever, and it's just another box to check before I move on to the next important thing of my day, you know? What I'm learning is that it's really easy for me to fall prey to this lie that the hurry and the hustle are actually going to fulfill me, that checking off the boxes and getting a pat on the back and being praised for overworking and undersleeping will bring me satisfaction and fulfillment, but it's never as fulfilling as I think it's going to be. Because honestly, at the end of the day, hustle doesn't end. Like there's always more to hustle. There's always more to do. There's another list to make. And don't be feeling bad if you're feeling bad because we're not the only ones to fall prey to this idea of hustling. Like even those closest to Jesus, some of his BFFs, the people who spent the most time with him and knew him the best, fell prey to this. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is in the home of a couple of his closest friends, Mary and Martha. And um, Martha has welcomed Jesus into her home. She's ready and anxious to prepare this space um, for him. And, but it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not even care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha has welcomed Jesus, the savior of the world, into her home. And in those days, the way that she was hustling to serve him was customary, right? Like as a woman in her home, her role was to prepare the space and serve and care for Jesus through her act of hospitality. In fact, you could make the argument that the way that she works to prepare her home is an act of love and devotion in its own way. But here's where the problem arises. The savior of the world God in flesh is in her house and she's so focused on hustling around, preparing the space that she's missing out on the presence of her God and it has made her distracted and anxious and troubled. And here's the thing, I can't blame Martha in this moment 
Because I do this too. We probably all do this. When we're hustling for stuff, usually it's for stuff that we love. We love our jobs. We love our kids, our spouses, our friends, our communities. But when we focus on these things so often that it pushes God to the margins, we miss out on the source of deep joy, satisfaction, and contentment. And that's something that hustling our way through life is never, ever going to give us. There's a second focus trap that I think it's easy to fall into, and that's the failure trap. Anybody in here their own worst critic? Like, you don't need anyone to tell you where you messed up because you already noticed and you added it to the list and you're going to beat yourself up about it later, right? Like, there's this internal bully inside of your head that loves to beat us down and steal our joy and remind us that we'll always be the same. We'll never change. We'll never get better. Never bounce back. Never live down our past, our present, our choices, our mistakes. And we will never have a clean house. And we will never get our kids to eat those veggies. And we will never catch up on the laundry. <laughs> no? There's me? Okay. It's fine. There's this really smart guy uh, by the name of Michael Dye, and he wrote the book on healing and recovery. I mean, he talks about this idea of little T truths, and these are truths that feel really true to us, but they're not that true, and big T truths, and these are the truths that actually matter. And in the past few months, I realized that I have spent a lot of my life living like my failure is a big T truth. Like, we tell ourselves all this stuff all the time. Like, I'll never be put to, as put together as that other parent. Or I'll never be able to do this stuff for or with my kids that so-and-so can do. I mean, my parents were terrible, so there's no hope for me with my kids. Or my mistakes will always define me. I'll never be able to live down my past, and I'll never overcome my weaknesses. I think it's kind of ironic that he calls them little T-truths because they're not that little, right? They take up all the space in our brain and they crowd out all those big T-truths that will actually bring us life and hope. Truths like I am a much-loved son or daughter of God, that my past has been redeemed and my penalty has been paid and I have been made whole because of Jesus. Truths like through Jesus, I am an overcomer. I can be a cycle breaker. And when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness and perfection of his son. And listen, I'm under no pretenses. Failure is a real thing. The Bible tells us that we all fall short of the standard of perfection set by Jesus. But acknowledging that we fail to meet the standard set by Jesus, like God in flesh, is way different than telling ourselves that we are a failure because we fall short of the standard of perfection set by Instagram, whatever. Focusing on our failures is the quickest way to minimize the redemptive power of our God. When we are quick to eagle eye, focus in on our failures and allow them to define us, we're actually cutting ourselves off from the identity that God the Father gives us through his son, Jesus. We are labeling ourselves a lost cause or hopeless or worthless when God has never labeled us any of those things. We're denying ourselves the privilege of coming before the throne of grace and asking for the wisdom and strength and power to try again tomorrow because we've already decided and we're too messed up to even be there. I think of Peter who was told that he would deny Jesus three times before Jesus' death and Peter was like, no, Lord, I would never do that. And then he did it. He totally did it. And if there's anyone that I think probably felt a little bit like a failure, it's Peter. But John 21 shows us like, Jesus loves a redemption story. Um, Jesus is resurrected, he's risen, and he's out on the beach, and he sees his disciples fishing, and he calls to them, and Peter, like, jumps out of the boat, is like, runs swimming through the water. Have you ever tried to do that? I bet it's hilarious. 
And he gets to the beach, and the first thing that Jesus says to him is, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus asks again, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus asks a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's kind of hurt at this point. He's like, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep and follow me. You know, Peter had messed up big time, right? But in this moment, Jesus isn't concerned about Peter's past failure. He's really more focused on redeeming his story. Jesus looks at Peter's human failure and still gives him the responsibility to care for and pastor those people in God's kingdom. God's big T truth is what is in focus. Restoration is in focus and healing is in focus and hope is in focus. But maybe hustle or failure aren't where you're giving your focus these days. Maybe you can't even concentrate on hustling through your day. And you're not even thinking about reliving your past or current failures because you're stuck in the third focus trap, comparison. Andy Stanley um, calls this living in the land of Ur. You know, the place where everyone is smarter than you, better than you, prettier than you. They have stronger marriages than you, cuter kids than you, and they drive nicer cars than you. This land of Ur is kind of like this lonely island because we're so focused on comparing ourselves to others that we go through life feeling as though we'll never measure up. So why even try? Like our identity becomes so wrapped up in everything that we believe that we are not, all the Ur's that we'll never live up to, that we don't focus on everything that we already are. When we compare ourselves to the people around us, we're telling ourselves that who we are just isn't enough. It's not enough for our kids, and it's not enough for our spouses. It's not enough for our workplace or our neighborhood. We are telling ourselves that the person who God made us to be isn't enough because it doesn't look like the standard that we see around us. Fun fact, this land of Ur has actually been around since the early church. They just didn't know it had a cool name. Paul addresses this comparison problem in 1 Corinthians 12. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If your focus has been stuck on comparison, know that you are not alone. This is a universal human problem, and it has been around long before the advent of social media, and who wore it better? But be encouraged by this truth that, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If you're like me and you're finding yourself caught in any of these focus traps, you might be thinking that it feels too weighty or too scary to turn your focus elsewhere. Like you have been focusing on hustle or failure or comparison or fill in the blank for so long that it kind of doesn't even feel like you're in control anymore. Like your brain is set on autofocus and not the helpful kind. So here's what I'm learning about retraining the lens of my mind to focus on the things that matter. Number one is that I have to stop. And this does not mean that I just stop my body because I can sit around on the couch all day long and my mind can still be racing. No, this is full mind, full body stop. This is a stop where I am intentionally making choices that result in full body rest. It's the moment 
where um, we realize that we need to stop. It might be different for every single one of us. Maybe for you, you've noticed you're spending more time in your office than, than with your kids. Or maybe you've noticed that your anxious thoughts are sending you to really unhealthy places. Maybe you're feeling distant or disconnected from your spouse. Maybe you're feeling like church and God are just this thing that you need to get through. For me, God had begun to feel really distant. He felt really uninterested in me, kind of uncaring, and I was super angry because I remember feeling like, well, he must not care about me because I'm getting up and I'm sitting down and I'm reading my Bible and and I'm doing my journaling, all of these things that I'm supposed to do, but he felt so far away. And one morning I got up to make my coffee, which is like the most boring task in the world. And I remember in my kitchen, in the quiet, in the middle of the mundane, nothing special, God said to me, I know that you're trying to do all this, but who are you becoming? And that's when he drew me to the story of Mary and Martha. And as God does, never in the condemning way, but with total loving kindness. You remember Martha is so busy hustling around that she's become anxious and troubled and distracted. And then she gets a little resentful, you know, of Mary. Because Mary has chosen to stop and sit at Jesus' feet because she wants to learn from the God of the universe how to live. And in order to do that, she had to be still. What I'm learning is that in order for me to become the woman, mom, wife, and friend that God has made me to be, I have to take my focus off the hustle. I have to stop so that I can make space for God to teach me, to speak to me, and most of the time to correct me. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't think there's a prescription that works for every single person. For me, it's getting up at 6.30 in the morning, even though I'm the furthest thing from a morning person, because I need time to set my mind and my body right before I launch into my day. But maybe for you, it's you just turn off the radio in your car so that your mind can be quiet as you drive. Maybe it's asking your spouse to start handling the bedtime routine because you need to go upstairs to your room alone and shut the door and allow your body and mind to catch up to itself. Whatever it is, just practice how to stop. You don't have to be perfect at it. And you're gonna, it's going to take some time to get the hang of it, and that's okay. The next way I'm retraining the lens of my mind is by releasing And this one is tough. I think there's a reason why the song Let It Go got on our nerves so quickly because we do not want to let it go. (laughs) My family watches all the Harry Potter movies starting after Thanksgiving till Christmas. And I don't know how this got started. One day it just started and it hasn't died yet. But at some point in the films, this is a spoiler alert for you, I'm sorry. They are uh, trying to gather these seven things called horcruxes. It's too much to get into right now. We could talk about it later. But um, Harry and his friends have found these horcruxes. They're pieces of this dark wizard's soul that are so evil, so wicked, so vile, that holding on to them for too long actually begins to eat away at who they are. And it sends their thoughts and their actions to really dark places. But here's the rub. Harry and his friends actually don't want to let these things go because as long as they have them in their hands, they are in control. Right, They know where they are, they know who they're with, and they know what to do with them. What I'm learning is that holding on to things like my failures or my weaknesses makes me feel like I have power over them. Like if I hold them tight enough, it means I'm still in control of them, but actually holding on to my failure sucks the life out of me. And I know, I know, when we're holding on to something and someone tells us to just release it, let it go, we want to be like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Just release it and I'll be fine? Well, fine. 
So please don't come at me. But I, it's a twofold thing. It's not just about releasing for the sake of releasing. I think it's about releasing and replacing. Releasing the focus that we put on our failures and replacing it with truth. Like scriptural, never changing truth. Because we can release our failures, but if we don't have anything true to pick up in exchange, then we're just leaving our hands empty for the next thing that we can white knuckle. So here's a practice that I think is super helpful and easy. They're called breath prayers. They're basically prayers of scripture that have two lines. And so then it makes it really easy to memorize scripture because I can't memorize anything anymore. So one line you say on an inhale and one line you say on an exhale. Something like this. This is from Romans 8, 38 to 39. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Or from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, your grace is enough for me. Because we have to release if we want to find peace. There's no other way around it. We have to be willing to release our focus on our failure and replace it with the big T truth that we are enough because Christ made us enough, that we are redeemed because Christ paid the debt, and that we are chosen by God, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not once we got our act together, not once we figured out how to do it right the first time, and not once everyone around us thought that we were perfect, but right in the middle of our mess. And the last way that I'm learning to retrain the lens of my mind is through this practice of remembering. This is all about remembering who I am and who God made me to be when the world around me would like me to believe something else. It's about remembering that God made me for a purpose right where I'm at, for the family that I'm in and the community that I am a part of. And it's hard to remember because there are a lot of different messages that the world would love to fill our minds with. Um, But here's what I'm learning about remembering, and it is not fancy. This comes from a very practical place of, like, I don't remember anything anymore. I have, like, half the brain cells I used to have. Here it is. Write it down. (laughs) Mic drop. I'm about to go all religious studies nerd on you here. But the Jewish people, uh, for the Jewish people, this is actually the point of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Like, it's this collection of remembrances of all of the things that God has done, the promises that he's made and kept, the miracles that he's worked, and the ways that he has saved his people. It is meant to be turned to again and again and again in order to bring hope and healing and peace. When the focus has shifted, they wrote it all down to remember. Deuteronomy 6, in the future when your son asks you, what's the meaning of all of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Why do we write all this down? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Write it down. Take five minutes at the beginning or the end of your day to write down all the good, the moments where you saw God work in your day, the things you really have to grateful in your life, the things about you that you think are just really stinking cool, the true things about scripture, um, in scripture that God says about you. Things like, wow, for you moms, my body made and birthed beautiful humans. Thank you. Or I know that the gifts that you've given me, God, make a difference where I live and work and play. Or God, I notice more patience in myself than yesterday because of the work that you're doing in me. 
and then put them somewhere where you can see them. Maybe it's on your dresser. Maybe it's on uh, your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's somewhere where you're in your car, but somewhere where you can look at them every day and be reminded of the truth of who you are and how God made you. That smart guy from earlier, Michael Dye, he likes to say that the right thing is the hard thing meaning that the right thing to do for our healing, our recovery, our relationships, our families, all this stuff, is often the harder thing to do. And focus isn't easy. It isn't complicated, but it isn't easy either. But I'm learning that it's a little bit easier when I focus on the one who shows me how to live a different life. The writer of Hebrews encourages us this way. So keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He had focus. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, when you find your focus shifting, Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Focus on Jesus, and you'll find your focus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, for what he means for us, that he's changed us, he's redeemed us, he's shown us the easy way to live, the restful way to live. God, if we're struggling this morning, if we're struggling focusing on hustle or failure or comparison or something else that wasn't named, God, would your spirit come and begin to do healing work in the hearts and minds um, of people in this room? God, help us remember uh, Jesus When we are losing our focus, help us focus on him and find everything we need. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to guest speaker Daily Hunt. You can watch the online version of this Mother's Day message by going to youtube.com slash Forest City Church. Thanks for listening.